So it's amazing how um, even this morning and after last week, just speaking on revival and just obviously doing something a little bit impromptu, how the enemy almost comes to try and derail, you know, the things that, that's happening in the church. And I do think that this church is on the cusp of something, that KCI is on the brink. And I mean, it's almost like the, the wave is starting to crest. I mean, Greg and I have chatted about that, that it's going to break onto something. Um, yeah, and it's just that there's a sense of excitement. I'm excited for what God wants to do within KCR. You know, I hope you are too, because, and we need to pray. We need to pray not only for the morning service, but for the evening service, because I believe that God is going to bring an influx of people in to the church, but we need to be ready. And I do believe that there's lots of empty chairs here tonight. I believe we need to pray that they're filled. And I believe to, that we're going to do that after the preach tonight. We're going to just Good. pray for a chair. You don't have to pray for anyone. Just pray that that chair is filled with someone. Amen. And if you can invite someone to fill that chair, whatever it is, and then yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Cool. So last week was a little bit different because we did a bit of an impromptu um, thing, which wasn't planned for at all. But we're going to carry on with the series of the journey this week. And it's just... Over the past while, we've seen that the spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. We've gone through the, the processing type part where we know that it, it takes time. It's not instantaneous. Being conformed means we actually release ourselves and release control to Jesus so that he can actually, so God can actually start changing us internally. And for the sake of others means that the only reason that we actually have spiritual formation, yes, is to have a deeper relationship with God, but it's actually for other people. When Jesus came onto the earth, and he came not for himself, but he did, came for the sake of others. So it's exactly the same as that when we have transformation take place in our lives, it's not for us, it's actually for others. So when we go through spiritual transformation, as difficult as it is, the fruit is much better than what we can even anticipate. Amen. Cool. So then after we went through the whole thing, we looked at different personality types. So introverts and extroverts, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just the amazing thing is that an extrovert will deal with situations completely different to an introvert. Or a sensing person will deal differently to a thinking person, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just how God uses us and the creation gifts that he's given us that some of us are naturally extroverts, some of us are naturally introverts, but God uses that, the gifts that he's given us, to reach other people. But as an extrovert, we have to work on the opposite of action, which is reflection. And vice versa for an introvert, is that an introvert loves reflection, but they've got to work on the action part, because God wants us to be whole. And we have to have a wholeness that comes about from us in the the gifts that, that God has given us. So to that... Let's see, I almost said today. I've changed it halfway through. To that, to that. And you guys, come on, you're all looking very morbid, eh? I really, hey, you're smiling. Thank you. There's one person that's here that's happy to be here. The rest of you, I'm just joking. But tonight we're going to look at something called a classic Christian pilgrimage. Now, I'm not saying we have to go to Jerusalem. That's not the pilgrimage I'm talking about. The pilgrimage I'm talking about is that throughout spiritual formation, there are four steps which each and every one of us go through. And if you could have the table, that comes up next. So the different, the four steps are awakening, purgation, it's a funny word, but you'll see what it is just now, 
illumination and union. So those are the four steps we go through. That's the classic, they, they, it's labeled as a classic Christian pilgrimage because it's a journey that each and every one of us goes through when God highlights something in our lives. Okay, so let's go on this journey together. We could spend weeks going through these four steps. We're going to go through them in one night, so it's going to be short and brief and, and hopefully good. So awakening is the first step. It is the encounter with the living God and an encounter with our true self. It means it's coming to see something of ourselves as we are coming to see something of who God is. Do you understand, understand that? So when we look at ourselves and we see, right, this is an area that God has said, I want to work on this, and we only see it because we are actually seeing who God is and we're trying to compare ourselves to God and it's not working. And God says, I need to work on that in your life. And it's an awakening. Sometimes we know it before God highlights it. But us, being true stubborn people, we choose to ignore it. And then God highlights it anyway. And he says, come, let's work in it together. So sometimes um, it can be of a moment of, like in Isaiah chapter 6, where he experienced who God is. You look at read Isaiah chapter 6, he says, in the, the year that, that the king Isaiah died, I saw God seated in heaven and around him with the angels flying. And the doors and the pillars shook with the presence of God as the angels and the cherubim were saying, holy, holy, holy. And the elders bowed down. And there was just this experience of who God is and Isaiah was broken because of that. Or it could be like Jacob when he realized, of the, the, realized how much of a mess he had made in his life and God meets him in that place. When he took, I mean, we heard this morning, when, when Jacob took Esau's birthright, or when Esau gave it away, I should say, the very next day, there was commotion in the camp. Because all of a sudden, something had happened, and Jacob ran away. And as he ran away, he fell asleep, and he saw the vision of Jesus and the angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And he woke up, and he said, surely God is in this place, and God met him there and then. It was an experience of how much of a mess of a life he had made, but he experienced God in that place. It was an awakening. And from that moment on, Jacob was a changed man. From that moment on, when Isaiah had that encounter with God, he was a changed man. We all go through stages. We have an awakening in our lives, and everyone goes through multiple awakenings. Because if it was just one awakening, it would be a very boring life. But God wants to continually work in us. So he awakens something, and then it goes on to the next stage, and this is where we spend most of our life. Unfortunately, it's called purgation. I battle to find out what that word means, but basically it means to purge. Purgation, purge. So God will highlight something, he awakens it to us, and he says, right now I want to purge it. I want to take it away from you. Now what does this mean? It could be a whole number of different things. And if you look at the table there says purgation, there's, there's different steps in it. So there's renunciation of blatant sins. There's the renunciation of willful disobedience, unconscious sin and omissions, and we're going to go through each one of those little steps now. But within, sorry, I forgot to say, within awakening, there's a comfort and a trust, sorry, a comfort and a threat type of thing, because there's a comfort that God wants to do something in us, but it's a threat that we are actually realize we, hey, we're bad people. 
and our self will, will fight against it. And we've got to allow that. We've got to allow God to come and release it. We've got to allow God to come. And I mean, we read this morning, so God helps us with our, with our self-control. God helps us with purging. God helps us. When he highlights something in our life, he doesn't say, I want you to deal with it, and I'm just going to watch you do it. He does it, and he does it with us. Because God wants to take us on this journey together. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. He doesn't want to see us battle. God is a loving God. And he loves us so much that he would actually say, come, let's work on this together, and I'm actually going to carry you. Come, get on my shoulders, let's do it together. Subjugation is the process of bringing our behavior, our attitudes, our desires into increasing harmony with our growing perception of what Christ's life, like, life is. So basically everything that we are, our behavior, our attitudes, and desires become harmonious with who God is. I think it's quite a nice thing to look at it. And this is where our disciplines come into play, the classic spiritual disciplines. So prayer, solitude, silence, etc., etc., which we'll get into next week. As I've mentioned, there's our own steps. And if we look at the renunciation of blatant sins, it says we begin to bring our, our values under the kingdom of God. So all of a sudden, our lives are saying, well, remember, when, when we're not a Christian, who cares? Who cares? My values can be whatever. But the moment we, we become saved and God starts awakening things in us, our values and our life come into God's system and God's kingdom. And now all of a sudden he says, right, you're a child of mine. You're living under my house. How often do we say to our kids, you live in my house, these are my rules. We're in God's house. And God says, right now, come, child, let's do this. And what are, this, what are some blatant sins? What do you think? Well, look at Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Next slide. The acts of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So basically every single thing in the world. Hey? Blatant sins. We blatantly sin every single day. Whether we like it or not. That's it. So this stage of purgation deals with all of that. It takes, I mean, as I said, often we are aware of these things. Willful disobedience, this deals with behaviors that are normal and acceptable in our culture, but are not acceptable to God. So some examples. Scripture speaks very, um, how can I say, blatantly about sexual purity. What does sexual culture look like in the world today? Anything goes. Do whatever you want. Who cares? God says a man will leave his mother and his father and be united with his wife under the union of marriage only. That is God's thing for sex. He doesn't say do whatever you want and come and just repent and then do whatever you want and come and repent. He says, no. He says, I've designed sex to be within this confines. The world has designed it to be there. No I said, God says, this is the boundaries. And you read scripture and it says a whole lot about sexual purity. And it's one of the, one of the, and it's one of the, the key things that the enemy targets is our sexuality. 
Just look at what's going on in the world today in terms of transgender and this and that. It says in my Bible, it says God created a male and female. End of story. Not male, female, whatever, this one over there and everything. That's it. So God comes and the willful disobedience is just, it's things that are acceptable in the culture but are not acceptable within God's kingdom. And if you read in Romans 14 as well, Paul deals with the whole issue of meat. You know, within some, some people don't eat meat, but I can eat meat. But what is summed up is that whatever I do, it mustn't be to someone else's detriment. So I cannot cause someone else to stumble. It's not good for me. I had a, a very rude awakening of that once when I was a new, new Christian. And for me, we uh, went to a company function, and I took someone along with me. And um, as we are going along, and for me, having a drink was fun. And as we walked out, it was like, it was like a slap in the face. The girl that, that I went with walked out, and she says, your actions caused me to stumble tonight. And I just thought, whoa. I said, but I had one or two. She says, and me being the new Christian is like, well, you should have sorted yourself out first. But no, it was something very simple, is that I didn't know that that person battled with drinking. But for me, it was okay to have a drink. But my actions caused someone else to stumble, and God says, that's not acceptable. It's difficult, because for what, something that is very comfortable for me might not be comfortable for Leon. And if I do do it, it might cause him to question something in God. It doesn't mean that we live legalistically in the, way that we, in the way that we work. God is gracious. God is a God of grace. But when we go through this whole stage of purgation and just purging things, we just say, well, God, how would you be in this situation? And Paul says in Romans, he says, if me eating meat causes someone to stumble, I'm not going to do it. End of story. I mean, there was someone that had a... Um, that he wouldn't even go into a nightclub and drink coke out of a glass because someone would think that it might have alcohol in it. So he had a can. He made sure he had a can all the time. You know, just things like that. Unconscious sins and omissions. This is where we let the Spirit of God reveal to us aspects of our innermost being, where we don't know the things that are festering. It's like a boil full of pus. You know, it's like under the surface. And the Holy Spirit just comes and goes, and it's like, all the pus comes out. It says, but you didn't know that it was there. That's where God comes and starts revealing the deep, you know, the hindrance, whatever is hindering our growth, the festering sores, which brings us to the deep-seated attitudes. And here God deals with our trust structures. You know, we cannot go on this journey of spiritual formation without trusting God. I think we battle to trust each other. You know, we battle to trust our, sometimes we battle to trust our families or whatever it is, but God says, I want to come and take care of all of those trust things, all of those structures, so you can trust me. Just like the whole experiment that Greg was mentioning this morning, is that when you say, come, I'm going to give you something better, I'll be back in five minutes, and you don't come back, is that God is a man of his word. He says, you can trust me. The world is not a man of their word. When the world says, come on, you can trust me, it's the enemy coming just to, to hook you into something else. But God says, come, you can trust me. Benedict Grishel, 
He's not the brother of Craig because this oak was way, way older than him. Characterizes this part as coming to mature faith and entering a relationship of radical trust on God. Describes mature faith as a decline in anxiety and an increase of peace. And Paul sums this up in Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I was chatting to my home group on, on Tuesday, and we were just chatting around this, just that, that, that verse. You know, rejoice. Paul starts it off with rejoice, and he ends it off with peace. He says, do not be anxious. There's peace. When we actually bring things to God with prayer and petition, our anxiety is released. Why? Because when that happens, the peace of God will come, and that peace will guard our hearts and our mind. But there's a step. We have to bring stuff before God in order for the peace of God to come upon us. I think it's quite cool. There's steps. I mean, God's very systematic in some of the things. So it begins with rejoice, ends with peace. The peace of God is not a static concept, but it's an active reality. God's peace is a vital is a vital relationship with God in which we find true fulfillment in our being, in our identity, in our value. The peace of God. So here's an example. There may be a violinist who is a technical master at playing the violin. Perfect, perfect, perfect in execution. And you sit and you listen and just you can admire the technical ability of that person. And then there might be someone who is not that great technically, but allows the music to be played through their soul. And you sit under that and you can actually just feel, you just get taken along on the ride of the journey of which they are playing. That's the type of trust that God has called us to. He wants to play through our lives out into the world. But it takes a relaxing and a trust in God and a letting go and control for him to be able to do that. In this way, our lives are held in the flow of God's presence and purpose. It is a consistent posture of, activity, of actively turning our whole being to God so that God's presence, purpose, and power can be released through our lives in all situations. That's what God is calling us to. It's a complete trust in him. Which brings us on to illumination. Which is basically of its experience of total consecration to the love of God. Rather than, my, than me overseeing my relationship with God, it's saying, God, you take control. You take. It's your care. There we go. Unceasing prayer. Revelation 4 verse 10 is actually a very nice picture of this. It says, yeah, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy. It's actually like the step. So the bowing down is the awakening of who God is to the elders. The worship of the elders is the purgation. It's the actual just releasing and letting go. And the laying down of the crowns is the illumination of who God is in their lives. I think it's quite cool. Illumination is characterized by a growing social concern. So it's no longer ourselves. 
what's happening around us? Not out of obligation, but out of a deep sense of God's love poured out into the hearts of others. There's a shift in our motivation from others, sorry, from ourselves to others. That's what happens. When Jesus comes and he engages us, there's a shift in our hearts. There's a shift in motivation from not looking inward to ourselves, but we're actually looking out to other people. Illumination is a paradigm shift in our motivation. Rather than a self-reference, self-concerned motivation for our relationship with God, our our motivation becomes a heart burning with love for God, the opening of our very being to the one whom we love and living our life in the world out of that love. So it's all linked together. The moment that we allow God to come and take control of our lives, automatically our heart shifts to others and not to self. And that's why I think what God is doing in this church is significant because we are shifting. It's almost like a shift in our focus is not on KCR anymore, but it's on everyone out there. And the enemy doesn't like that. Why? Because God is doing something. God's illumined. He's He's awakened something inside of us. He's starting to purge and he's starting to get rid of stuff and he's illuminating our mind to who God is so that when he pours out his love in us, we have to work out that love into the community. And that is what God is doing in KCR at the moment. And that is why the enemy is trying to attack us and to stop us and to do things because God is doing something. God is on the move. And we need to move with him, as I said last week. And revival is happening whether we like it or not. God is moving. We have to join him. So God is doing something in this church, and I'm really, really, really excited. It's a life of deep sensitivity and responsiveness to the presence of God. I think KCR is starting to understand the presence of God. I think people are starting to understand what God is actually doing. That's what happens through spiritual formation. That's when we allow God to come and do things, we actually realize who he is and what he's capable of. And then we start to trust him. And when we start to trust him, he says, right, now let's go, my boy and my girl. Let's do this thing. Let's change the world. The disciples, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they didn't cower in a corner saying, woe is me, Jesus is gone. What did they do? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went straight out into the street and they spoke about Jesus. Peter stood up boldly and declared, This is what was said by the prophet Joel. Are we able to do that? When we are illuminated by what God has done for us, we should be going out and saying, this is what is spoken about in the Bible. This is what God wants to do. Then there's union. And the union is not an escapist type of experience. It's an experience of being at last, in the kind of relationship with God for which we were created for, for which we were designed for, harmony with God. Thomas Merton says this, It is the gift of God who, in his mercy, completes the hidden and mysterious work of creation in us by enlightening our minds and hearts, by awakening in us the awareness that we are the word spoken in his one word. And that creating spirit dwells in us, and we in him. That we are in Christ, and Christ lives in us. That natural life that in us has been completed, elevated, transformed, and fulfilled in Christ by the Holy Spirit. 
Contemplation is the awareness and the realization, even in some sense experience, of what the Christian obscurely believes it is now, no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. This is union. This is where we say, it's Jesus in me. It's not Grant anymore. We've gone through awakening. We've gone through purgation. We've gone through illumination. There's just the union where we just say, it is no longer, like Paul said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. There's components of union. I'm wrapping up now very, very quickly. There's the prayer of quietness, which is a posture of complete yieldedness to God, to God's presence and purpose. There's the dark nights of senses, which basically means God must be in our life. We have to allow God to be who God is in our lives, if that makes any sense of what I've just said. Okay, unrestricted by the narrow limits of our thoughts or feelings. In full union between the movements of the human mind and the will, the loving designs the God that he completes the harmony of everything that comes in there. The dark night of the spirit is the eye of the needle through which no more remaining vestiges of self can squeeze through because God has stopped it. Transforming union, once we have released all self-control to God, ultimate conformity to the image of Christ. These are stages which we are going through continuously. And these stages of awakening, purgation, illumination, and union all take part in the preferences, the personality preferences that God has given us, whether we are extrovert or introvert or sensing or feeling or thinking or judgmental or perceptive, etc., etc. God uses who he's created us with our natural gifts, and he transforms us from that so that we can go out and to reach the world. And then Robert Mulholland Jr., which is the, the author of the book, he says, God often disrupts our psychological state. Thus, the community of faith becomes vital in our growth towards wholeness in Christ for others. Often, the often disturbing, upsetting intrusions of others enable them to become God's agents of God's troubling grace in our pilgrimage. Amen. Okay. Our sisters and brothers in the faith also become God's agents of comfort and encouragement and support as we wrestle with the call to come out of the security of our incompletedness into the wholeness God has for us in Christ. It is in the community of faith that we find the support structures of classical and personal spiritual disciplines through which God conforms us to the wholeness of Christ for others. So this whole thing of spiritual transformation, we have to have others. And we're going to get into that when we look at social justices and everything like that later. But ah, God uses friends. God uses not friends to shape and to mold and to define and to just tweak and start doing little things in our lives and say, right, this is what I want to do. So there's a lot, I mean, I've gone through a lot tonight and it's just, it's, it's been like a, it's a very quick overview, but just know that within each and every one of us, God is awakening things and because he's awakening things in us, he's awakening things in the church. And then God's purging stuff in our life. And because he's purging stuff in us, he's purging stuff in the church. And then he's illuminating, and then there's a complete union. And I mean what I said. I said, I think God is starting. It's the, moment we, the moment Casey and I shifted focus onto others, all of a sudden things have started happening. Good in God, but then the enemy is, has started doing his thing. So right now, we've got um, two minutes over, but can we stand? Pick a chair. Pick a chair. Pick a chair, any chair. Let's pray for that chair. Let's pray that God would fill it. You can pray for more than one chair. 
You can pray for a whole row because, gee whiz, there's rows that are empty. Yeah, there's still, yeah, the whole, we can actually pray for the whole auditorium. But it's just a case of, just take two minutes. I'm going to pray as well, but pray for that chair. Pray that someone, that God would bring someone and place them in there, and then they would be able to do the same for the next chair and the next chair. Because we want to see Manzum Tari transformed for Christ. Amen. And that is going to happen by God bringing people into the church. And that is going to happen by us being ready to receive those people. So, Father God, we do. We pray for these chairs. We pray, Father God, that you would fill them in Jesus' name. That, Father God, we know that you are wanting that everyone would be saved in a man's entirety, Father God. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, we are saved that we are willing. That, Father God, we, we want the lost to come in, Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father God, right now for the chair. We pray that you would put a person in that chair, Father God. We pray that you would give us opportunity to be able to invite someone to come to church, Father God. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that we would see this place transformed for the beauty of Christ in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Next week.